Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. so at this worship service than the last one, but you might be breathing easy with the openness of the chancel today. All the dinosaurs are gone. One child did ask me about the dinosaurs today. They said, where did they go? And they've all been rehomed. Before the end of the worship service, every dinosaur was claimed and taken home. So they've, they've all been rehomed. They haven't been scrapped. They've been upcycled. And they are now enjoying basements, playrooms, and wherever else all over Crozet. So we enter into a new worship series that will take us through the next two months. Scriptural speed bumps. Those parts of scripture that are difficult to hear. Sometimes Christians don't want to even acknowledge that they're in the Bible. Because how do you explain that to someone? How do you explain to someone that Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword when in a few short months in Advent, we'll be singing songs and praying to the Prince of Peace. How do we reconcile these things? And so we thought it would be appropriate to wrestle with some of these difficult texts, and we decided to jump right in with a good one. Take up your cross and follow me. And you'll notice that there's a whole bunch before that that most people don't even want to get into. It's hard enough to say, take up your cross and follow me. However, All of this is situated within a passage where Jesus is speaking to his original 12 apostles and he's telling them the high cost of discipleship. He's getting them prepared to understand what the consequences of following him will be. And even though some of them instantaneously responded to the invitation to come, some of them for completely unfathomable and irrational reasons jumped on board to the Jesus train and decided to follow this man from backwater Galilee and see where it would go, some of them would have had pause. Wait, you meant like right now? You want me to leave my dad in the boat and come and follow you? You want me to drop my entire day's earnings back into the water and follow you? And yet they did. And time and time again, Jesus will have invitations from people to come and follow him, or there will be people who will ask to follow Jesus. And every time someone asks, he gives them pause. Because it is not an easy thing to follow Jesus. But it is a worthy, a right, and truly a joyful thing once you get used to it. And so he's telling them that they have to recognize the nature of discipleship. There will be people that will persecute you because of me, Jesus will say in Matthew. There will be people that will curse you simply because you bear my truth and my love in the world. And so in that way, he is saying, I have come to bring conflict. Now, Jesus didn't actually like bearing a sword. He didn't carry a weapon. And when his, uh, his uh, captors came to arrest him that evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, some of these same apostles took up a sword to strike back at those who would take Jesus from them. And he told them to put down their weapons. He was not interested in having them slaughter one another or hurt one another. And there were multiple opportunities in his ministry where Jesus could have easily brought down hellfire and brimstone, sulfur like Sodom and Gomorrah. There were times where he could have brought back smiting. 
There were times where Jesus could have caused incredible physical harm because of the power that he had within him, and yet every time he chose not to. One of those instances where we see that Jesus didn't literally come to bring a sword is when he comes back from his testing in the wilderness and he enters into ministry and he goes to his home synagogue, goes back to his hometown and he visits there in Nazareth and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and triumphantly reads to his hometown the words that were there from the prophet and boldly claims, this reading has been fulfilled in your presence, for I am he. And they are so livid and angry that they're determined to kill him, to throw him off the cliff, to stone him, and they try to run him out to the outskirts of town to kill him. And Jesus, in any of our minds, might have been rightly justified to defend himself, but he chooses not to do that. Instead, he chooses to walk straight through the crowd and kick the dust from his feet and walk on to the next town. He did not come to bring the sword that day. That day was about choosing when and where to have engagement, choosing to have conflict of words rather than weapons, choosing to instead invite people to see things his way and not sway them with violence and respond to their disdain with his own hatred. So if Jesus didn't really mean bring a sword, why is this a problem? If you were to Google this passage, you will see that there's a picture that's being printed up on posters and put on t-shirts and all kinds of other things, courtesy of the internet, where you can see that where it says the quote, I have come not to bring peace, but the sword, and there's a picture of a semi-automatic weapon. This text has been co-opted by people who want to feel empowered to do violence. There's a lot at stake in this scripture. And not only that, but it talks about fundamental conflict. Isn't there enough conflict within families without adding Jesus? Isn't there enough going on to add one more reason for us to have tension and opposition within our household? I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. I don't know in our day and age if you really have to pit a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, but it's here too. Right? These things are here. One's foes will be members of their households. Well, why would that be? Because Jesus says, you can't love anyone more than me. You have to be willing to make difficult decisions. All of us are here today because some way, somehow, we determined that this is where we should be. Some of us might be here under duress, so I'll just give you that. But overall, as adults, we choose whether or not we come to worship God Almighty. We choose to be here. And this isn't like the days of past where you didn't really have a choice because everything was closed on Sunday. The era of blue laws is over. So you have choices. And there are many things that you could be doing. You could be sleeping in. You could be at home in your pajamas. You could be at brunch. You could be out shopping, seeing a movie. You could be working. There are things that you could do, and yet you have chosen to come here. And some of us are here today And our families are not. Some of us choose to come to worship knowing that we must walk away from families. Every Christmas Eve and Easter, there are members of our church who come by themselves. Because back at home, all the rest of the family is gathered together, having breakfast and sharing in family time. Yet they have chosen to get up and get ready and be prepared and come to worship They have chosen Jesus, and some of them will take incredible flack for that when they get home. 
Some of them come knowing that their families do not approve. They will argue that they have felt abandoned. I've preached to you before that there's an entire side of my family to whom I am genetically related that I have nothing to do with because they like to have all of their celebrations on Sundays. And I have chosen Jesus. It's a hard path to walk. To know that you might actually choose Jesus and it might cost you something precious. That you might choose your relationship with your Lord and Savior and it might damage another relationship because that person can't understand just what your faith means. And that is a painful reality that we live in, in discipleship. And Jesus recognized that. That some of these grown men who were following Jesus were walking away from wives and children and jobs and, and elderly parents that they supported. They were walking away from everything that they had ever known at great risk, both physical and social. Nowadays, we have to worry about what will happen when we make decisions. When you choose to be a Christian and to come to worship, when you choose to give up your time in missions and ministry, when you choose to put Jesus first in your calendar, people have something to say about that. They'll start to wonder if you're a Jesus freak. They'll start to wonder if you're drinking the Kool-Aid. They'll start to be concerned that you've lost your perspective and your family should come first. And there are some who will be shunned completely because they choose to live out their faith. And Jesus recognized this. And he promises us that the body of Christ is God helping to nurture us in that loneliness. That for those of us who walk away from our families and our friends and feel as we are cast aside, that God will bring together others who will love and nurture us, who will hold us accountable and push us to grow, who will help us in this difficult marathon that we call discipleship. Because the cost is very high for Jesus Christ. He gave everything on that cross. And that part of the scripture that we read, take up your cross and follow me, we miss it as Christians because we're used to hearing that, one. And two, this is Matthew chapter 10. They don't know he's going to die on the cross. Can you imagine that day? He says, you must take up your cross and follow me. And they're like, Jesus is saying weird things again. What is he talking about? It would be the equivalent of me saying to you, take up your gas chambers and your electric chairs. Take up your firing squad and your gallows. Get your gurneys and your syringes for lethal injection and follow me. It's not a very pleasing picture. And yet that's what he was telling them. How far are you willing to follow me? Because I am willing to go all the way for you. I will go to the ends of human life for you. How far are you willing to go with me and for me? But more than that now, as modern Christian disciples, how far are we willing to go for others? Are we willing to go to the ends of the earth for someone else? Someone who might claim to be our enemy? Someone who is apathetic toward our faith. Someone who is antagonistic and hostile to our faith. How far are we willing to go? And are we willing to put everything on the line for Jesus Christ? Because that's what he's invited us to do. He's told us that there may come a day when someone that we love and cherish will call the question on whether or not we can be a disciple. 
I've loved you through Sunday mornings, but I'm drawing the line here. I'm willing to let you give afternoons to this ministry of the food pantry, but I'm not going to let you take a week and go to Africa and lose our vacation. There are times when someone that we deeply love will be in tension with what we feel called to do. And how do we respond to that? We acknowledge it openly, that this is where we are. We also, through prayerful discernment, ask God to sustain us. Lord, if I feel called to this, I need to know that you are with me. For the one that I loved is not with me. And we have to be willing to lean wholly on Jesus Christ. Willing to let him support us when we feel weak and unsure and abandoned and lonely. We have to be willing to do that. Because the reality is that of thousands of people that Jesus fed, thousands upon thousands of people who heard him, who saw him, who witnessed his miraculous healings and power, only 12 would commit. Only 12. And one of them will betray him at the last moment and determine we've come this far, yet I cannot go there with you. And so there is not the many who follow Jesus Christ. It is instead the few, the committed, sometimes the outcast, sometimes the disdained, the few who will choose to do what Christ asks us to do. And Jesus knew that this would be a difficult task. He knew that it would be hard for people to hear and even more hard for people to accept and follow. And so he gave us means of grace. He gave us a family that is built on faith and not blood and DNA. He gave us these gifts of the sacraments that allow us a tangible way to taste God's presence and grace for us so that we can be assured not only with our minds and our hearts, but with our senses that God has not abandoned us, that God will sustain us and feed us all along the way. For this journey and faith is long and arduous. It is not paved and well-marked and illuminated at night like the world's journey is. Instead, it is one that is rocky. There are creaky bridges that nobody wants to pass over. There are pitfalls and dangers, but it is a holy trek. And it is one that if we choose to take, not only will God enable us to take it, but God, because of God's goodness and grace, will bring others to walk this path with us. That's what a church is. It is not a building. It is not an organization or an institution. A church is a family of brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ who choose, who choose to walk side to side to walk alongside another person, to embrace them, to empower them, to equip them, to pick them up when they fall, to drag them along when they feel weak. It is so much more than our understanding because we recognize the high cost that Jesus proclaims in this text. It is one of these days where we will have to wrestle with whether or not churches become obsolete. There are theories about church moving entirely virtual and digital. That no longer will people gather together. No longer will people be side to side. I don't know how you do communion online. Not sure how you do that. Or baptism. 
Not sure how you do that either. But there is something about being present in God's house. There is something that happens when we gather together that cannot be replicated. There is something about manifesting the Trinity. We come here where God the Father is invoked, invited, and dwells all the time. At 3 a.m. this morning, God the Father was here. And then as we gather together, Jesus Christ says, because there are at least two of us, I am with you also. And the Holy Spirit comes among us, some of us bringing in that peace which we received at our baptisms, and the Trinity is here. That is something powerful, profound, sacred, and holy to the highest heaven that we get to experience and by God's grace enjoy. It doesn't happen everywhere else. There are wonderful feelings that the world has for you. But as people much smarter and more holy than I have said, inside each and every human being from the first one to the last is a God-shaped whole. And nothing of this world, nothing, no power, no authority, no money, no material goods, no friends, no family will ever fill that hole. Only God can make us whole. And all of those other things can be good and right and joyful. But without God, they become about us. And we were called to be about Christ and others. And so we must recognize that. The world is full of stories and testimonies and accounts and tragedies of people who tried to fill a God-shaped hole with all kinds of substances, addictions, people, mindsets, cultures, other religions, and none of them will bring you the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Not one. And so we gather together to be held accountable, not only by God, but each other. It's about choosing to be in right relationship, not only with God, but with others. The one thing more Christians ask me to get rid of is the passing of the peace. It's like flu season. Can you get rid of that? Is that really why you want me to get rid of the passing of the peace? Are we afraid to actually take hands with another person, to become invested, to turn at them and say, the peace of Christ be with you, and hear them say that to us? Are we afraid of encounter? Are we afraid that we might actually come into contact and, God forbid, actually start a relationship with another person? I don't know. I'm sure for some people it really is about germs. But the holy truth is that we are called to be together. And even Jesus recognized that he wanted to start with 12. And so it is more than just us and God. It is about us and God. And we come here this day to be in the presence of the one who has given everything for us who literally took capital punishment and the death sentence so that we wouldn't have to bear that and gave of himself that we could know once and for all time that we are forgiven, loved, and free. And all that Jesus has asked is that we are willing to continue our life's journey with him and others who bear him too doesn't seem like it's that much to ask, considering that Christ has not only given us liberation from all sin, liberation from our death, and eternity in the kingdom to come.
can we not give him this life also? May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.